TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I stayed up all night a couple of nights ago to watch the horror movie Host on Shudder. Hi, I'm producer Dave. I didn't stay up all night to watch that. Um, I, I did watch some of it. I haven't finished it. I will finish it. It's really good. Uh, honestly, okay. So let's 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 explain for people who don't know what we're talking about the the, the movie host is uh, is directed by uh, Rob Savage it is written by Rob Savage Jed Shepard and Gemma Hurley and it is in the same vein as uh, things such as unfriended and uh, I guess riddles of zoom so it's basically a, a group of friends and they want to do a, a zoom seance if you will that is essentially the typical formula of this particular movie, but the way it is done is fantastic. One of the techniques that uh, Rob Savage had used in in the film is he doesn't use music at all. I mean, there are elements where there's some there's sound design that's added, but there's no music, so there is none of the. Yeah, you know, the, I really hate this in horror films where it's like the jump scare with the loud violins and whatnot. That's not there. There are jump scares, but no violins with the jump scares and so on and so forth. So when there's when there are moments of silence, there are moments of silence for a reason, for a purpose, and it works. Everybody is on point with every single character. They're all uniquely defined, and you check them out. They are fantastic. Now we're talking about it because we're we're going to try and, and get the writer Jed Shepard onto the show this week. We're also going to have on the show with us uh, this week, uh, Jamie Nash, who wrote one of the installments of the Save the Cat novels. And he wrote Save the Cat Rights for TV. Uh, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And this is Film and TV News. <laughs> Thank you. 
You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we, uh, we have the writer of Host on Shudder. Uh, uh, in fact, tell us, your, tell us your name and tell us the name of the... I've just said what the name of the film is. Um, but tell us your name and tell us the name of the film and what the film is about. I'm Jeff Shepard. I'm writer and exec producer of the movie Host. Uh, and Host is about a Zoom seance. That's it. And that's how we pitched it, to shudder a Zoom seance. And, and they let us do it. So <laughs> now, now, Jed, you've just joined the Zoom session. And you, so you didn't hear myself and uh, producer Dave talk about Host. So you have no idea what our uh, opinions are on the, on the film. Um, I don't know. It's it, we thought it was great. We've been basically singing the reviews of Host. I was just mentioning how I watched it a couple of nights ago at about two a.m. in the morning. <laughs> uh, just I, I, was, I had Shudder, I had, and I watched it, and I loved the use of of silence, uh, building up to very tense, you know, tense scenes as as it was going through. So let me ask, what inspired the making of Host? Um, just before the world just turned into into trash, myself and my frequent collaborator Rob Savage, who directed Host, we we just come off doing three quite popular short films, um, and off the back of that, we we got some film deals. We we got a film with Studio Canal. We got a film with with my favourite director Sam Raimi. So we knew we had that coming up, but then the world's press pause and we didn't know what was going to happen next. The momentum was kind of gone. So we were in lockdown and with our friends, we made Host. We made it within 12 weeks because we wanted to have it out before the lockdown ended. We wrote it in lockdown, we made it in lockdown and we released it in lockdown, in the first lockdown. Yeah. And in, as part of this, and we're not going to give any spoilers or anything like that, but lockdown and COVID is is brought in in, in its entirety. It's embedded into the story itself. Um, you do have characters wearing masks. There's even the bit with the elbow mm-hmm. um, shaking, etc. So nobody mm-hmm. can confuse when it's set. It's set during COVID. I guess you have more of a horror background. The three shorts you were making are mm-hmm. from a uh, horror. So what horror films inspire you to do your work? Well, my, my the biggest inspiration for, for just doing horror in the first place is all my favourite directors started in horror. So I think that it's it's the best genre to kind of cut your teeth on because it kind of is the one that lets you do the most. It lets you experiment. It lets you kind of uh, talk about subjects that may not be talked about in, in other genres and you can just put a horror spin on it. I'm inspired quite a lot by... Um, the works of Nigel Neal. Um, he's a writer that did Quatermass, Quatermass and The Stone Tape and this 70s TV show called Beasts. So like his, he was the first one to bring uh, horror to mainstream British television. So I'm always inspired by that because it's quite rare you see like a horror show made by Brits on British TV. So, and then of course, all the classic American movies like, like Don't Look Now, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, all the Wes Craven stuff. Uh, Sam Raimi's a massive influence of the Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2. Mainstream horror movies that make people go to, to the cinema and watch it. Because I want to make movies, I always say this, I want to make movies for the 15 year old kid who has just broken up with his first girlfriend. He's just found nice. out what love is and now it's been torn apart. So he goes to the cinema, he's in the dark by himself and he's watching something. And by the time he comes out, I want him to forget that girl's name 
that's the kind of films I want to make. I want to make that films is a that very make. specific niche audience that you're. you're it's targeting. very specific, but it's it's films that make you that heal you, f- films that transport you and and like give you the escapism you need for for your brain and your body to heal. That's the kind of movies I want to make. That's good. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm producer Dave. And we're joined by the writer and executive producer behind Host. It is uh, Jed Shepard who's with us. Uh, he's telling us about, he's been telling us, we, we're not going to be going into too much about the film itself because it's a, it, it, it's a 55 minute uh, film. So that technically is it classified as a long short or is it classified as a short feature? It's just, it's just a feature really. Um... The main thing, or one of the main things that people love about Host is the fact that there's no fat on it. A film should last as long as the story lasts. Um, this kind of weird concept that a film should be 90 minutes, 100 minutes, is from back in, in like the 1910s and 1920s, a film should last as long as the story lasts. So when we released Host, it was like a breath of fresh air. People were like, like, please, this is this is great. We want more films like this. Normalize like 56 minute movies. And then when, because of the success of Host, on Shudder, it got released in cinemas worldwide uh, after. And it's still in some cinemas in, in, in Japan and I think in Russia. And at first cinemas were just like, oh, we can't have a film this short um, on. And then we just asked the question, why? why what, what's stopping you from having a film that's like about an hour long? And there is no reason. There is absolutely no reason whatsoever. So, um, so yeah, it, it's proved that people will go and watch films that are about an hour long. It proves that it doesn't prevent you from telling a story. In fact, it enhances it because you can get straight to the point and you cut out all of the nonsense that doesn't make any sense that you add on just to bring it up to that arbitrary 90 minute number. No, I agree. I agree. And the fact that you even mentioned that you, there's no, there's, there's no fat on this film whatsoever. Everything that happens in the film has its place. It's set up for a reason. It, from the positioning of various characters, there's a couple of characters in there um, where you see, first you see one, again, I said I'm not going to spoil the movie, but at the <laughs> beginning, you see one of the characters outside the window, and then you yeah. see her move into her apartment. And yeah. that is, it, it's a brilliant setup for that because of what happens later on in mm-hmm. the film, um, mainly in terms of, and you don't even, you don't, you don't consider it until later on you understand sort of spatial awareness of where, where everyone is. Okay, now we have watched a, another project that is similar to yours. And by similar, I mean, in terms of themes and structure and format, a web series called Riddles of Zoom, which is essentially mm-hmm. friends who are having a Zoom meeting. It's like three, sec- uh, three minute videos, episodic videos, right? They're having... Nice. Uh, and and they get haunted in the in, in the Zoom meeting. So oh, when when did this come out? This was this year actually, um, or last year rather, it, uh, end of last year. It was. Uh, um, I wonder what they were inspired by. And <laughs> exactly, <laughs> um, uh, um, but they they did that, and we talked about them. The way they shot theirs, they shot theirs where each person filmed their own segments independently. But yeah. that does not seem the way you did yours. Is that correct? Did you all shoot independently? Or was there an actual Zoom session going on where everyone was bouncing off each other? Yeah, the, so the, the Zoom session was always always there, but it was actually shot on iPhones taped to the back of their computers. I'm pretty sure this Riddles of Zoom thing saw how we did it and and because we've been quite open with how we, we did host and, and the ways we did it and we've put out like making off things. And um, I'll, be completely, I'll be completely honest with you. I loved the way 
host was set up mainly because yeah. which is the reason why i was asking that because uh, again with riddles of zoom what they did was one person spent an entire day shooting all their scenes then the next person should spend the entire day shooting all their scenes and as such what they they may have gained convenience of actually getting that done but what they lost when you're watching it is the interaction between the yeah. actual actors and you can see it it's clear and they even recognize it themselves they said that you know that was something they couldn't help this is not the case oh. with host with yeah. host fantastic because there were certain areas where it seemed uh, improvised where some of the actors were improvising mainly because you see the reaction from some of the other characters and they're bouncing off of those jokes and it's one of those kind of things where you are either an, an amazing Meryl Streep level actress to be able to remember a subtle thing that the person did to be able to do that or it's an instant reaction which is basically what I, I guess from that. Um, so you said that there are some behind the scenes footage. Where can people find the, those behind the scene footage to watch to see how you crafted Host? Yeah, I think if you if you if you buy the DVD or Blu-ray or I think if you buy it on iTunes even, uh, you get a little bit of behind behind the scenes on there. On the on the Blu-ray, there's a proper documentary about how everything's done. But yeah, like we said, we we had zoom open the entire time so they could see each other and react to each other like you say that's the best way to do it but the best rehearsal for host was the fact these girls have been friends for years and years and years and years and years four out of the five girls went to school together so this is a real friendship and this is what comes across really well this isn't this isn't just we've cast cast people we these are our friends our genuine real friends so when you see them argue and you see their dynamics it's real and i think that authenticity comes through really well which is why it's very hard uh for people to try and do a zoom copy because unless they know five horror people um that have kind of been known each other for a decade it's it's really hard uh, emma was the only one who's a little bit more recent but when i say more recent um she came into the friendship group in the last four years so she's known each other for like about four years these are this is a real friendship you're seeing um on screen and this is why the scares work because you care about these people so so much because you really like them and that's the best way to get a reaction out of people when you see bad things happen to them it's amazing work and the the cast the cast and crew deserve all our round of it inspires me to want to do better with my own work um you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e Ako. and i'm producer dave and i just want to quickly ask you there was a there was a scene in, well, there's not a scene, it's a, it runs right the way through, and I'm not going to spoil anything by saying it's a screensaver, which oh, yeah. I thought was a very, very good idea. Where did you oh, come yes. That? Oh, yes. Where did you come up with that idea? Because it's brilliant. To be very honest, the, all of the deaths and all of the scares, that came first in about a half hour Zoom call with me, me and Rob, the director. We just, because we knew we, this film was being released in 12 weeks and we haven't even written it yet. We just went, we basically went onto the Zoom website, went down a list of features. And we attached it to each of the girls uh, as, as uh, their thing. So it was very quick, but um, obviously I'm an encyclopedia of horror. So I've, I've seen like every, every horror film. So I have, I have like a Rolodex of, of like kills in, in, in my head and I kind of mish, mash them up in, into like into like various different original kills. And for, for that particular thing with Caroline, at the start of lockdown, kind of everyone was starting to do things like that. My friend Eros, he, he was coming on Zoom chats with us and he was doing the background thing and he recorded himself giving himself a cup of tea. I think that's where we got it from. But yeah, it's just it's just a real clever way to 
give the audience a little bit of a red herring and then gives them something horrible. And yeah, and that that particular sequence was nominated for for best kill in the Fang, in the Fangoria um, Chainsaw Awards recently, which we we won yeah, best. Just, just saw that being posted on social media at the moment. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we won best streaming best streaming film. We were up against some big boys, but uh, yeah, we won that. So and right, rightfully deserved because again, yeah, we, as we said, there's barely any fat in the film, and it is everything is placed there for a reason. The screensaver. I'm definitely stealing that idea to use in real life. <laughs> um, so I have a number of Zoom calls. I'm definitely be careful, though. Be careful. No, of, of course, right? I've got to be. Able to, I've got to do it. It's going to. It's going to be dropped in at the right time, sitting in a meeting, and just have basically me come and drop like a cup of tea or pick up a phone yeah. and walk away and come back and like, no, I'm still here yeah. um but then but then later on when it comes into play when people it's it just it's so it's such a such a insightful really really good movie i really enjoyed it and you're right the fact that it's 55 minutes is it doesn't do it any disservice it it doesn't outstay its welcome it comes in it does its thing and it goes um so moving on from that because i know you have you you have you're very busy you've been doing a lot of stuff you're very active on clubhouse at the moment you run a horror a horror room on clubhouse let's talk a little bit about that then we'll talk yeah. about ghosts and then if okay. you still if you have time and you want to talk about your work with sam remy let's start let's start with the clubhouse room that you're okay. doing so tell us a little bit about your horror room in clubhouse so if for those that don't know clubhouse is a uh social media app that is audio only how i kind of like explain it to people it's like a thousand podcasts happening at once and you can drop into that podcast and and talk with them it's it's a really unique way and in the last few months it's kind of people have started using it a lot more and i just noticed that nobody had a horror clubhouse for some reason it just passed everyone by it was really difficult to find horror fans on clubhouse so i i started the only horror clubhouse just called horror so i did it and then it instantly gained traction and then um, i do horror rooms and every thursday i do a room called clubhouse of horror where i have people from the world of horror um actors directors producers anyone involved in horror in that room to discuss topics to be interviewed we have q and a's uh, people in the audience can come up and ask them questions it's the most unique kind of way think of it like comic-con because like it's really rare you get to speak to these people. Um, so for, for instance, like uh, we have the, quite often the writer and the director of the new Saw movie, Spiral. They're in there every week, at least the writer is. We have, we have Barbara Crampton, who is horror royalty. She's on the front cover of Fangoria right now. She's like my co-host as well, which is insane for me to even say. Another regular, Ashley Lawrence, who from the Hellraiser movies. Larry Fessenden's in there, amazing actor. Um, the girls from Host, they're often in there too. But yeah, it's just everyone who makes horror comes into that room on Thursdays to discuss horror. We have horror uh, rooms throughout the week, but Thursday is kind of the main, the the main day, um, and I'm I'm loving it, man. It's it's just so cool, and it's just it's really good uh, contacts as well because the people in that room, they've collaborated together and made their own movies as well already in the last few months. There is a Clubhouse anthology movie coming out, a horror anthology movie made up of 11 shorts. Absolutely, I heard about that. I heard about right that. Now. Yeah. yeah. Are, are you are you taking any part in that? I know one of the last rooms that you were in that I, I was in, I heard you say how booked your time is because you've got yeah. all of these projects all lined up and you don't yeah. know when you're going to fit anything into it. Yeah. Um, so are you part of that anthology? Um, no, they, they did ask me, but like, I, I, I honestly don't have time to do it. Um, but my friend Sebastian uh, Bazile is the guy who's kind of 
heading that up and he is um, he's just found writers and directors on clubhouse and he's given them the money to make these shorts and put, put it together into an anthology movie it's amazing it's amazing the context you can make on clubhouse and i'm not i'm not paid by clubhouse this isn't an advert for them but i promise you if you are an up-and-coming writer or um, a director you can find great contacts there you can speak to execs of the biggest studios in hollywood uh, like in like in my in my clubhouse of horror room on thursdays 4 p.m pacific midnight in the uk um we we always have people from uh, like Raimi Productions in there. We have people from uh, Blumhouse in there all the time. You can make those connections if, if, if you really want to. You're absolutely right. That's how I got to get connected with you. I mean, I've, yeah. I've, been, seeing, I've been seeing reviews and, and people talking about host quite a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, and and when I went on, I've been surfing different clubhouse rooms as as well myself. It's only available on the iPhone at the moment, but it's definitely going to expand to Android pretty soon. Next um, month, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great! Ago. I'll be the first to download. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I've 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 been telling producer David about it. I've, I'm completely addicted to it, and I suffer FOMO from it as well, mm. where people will ping me and say, "Oh, this person is in this room," and they've just pinged that you think you should join. And while I'm in that, somebody else is pinging me saying, "Join this other room," and I'm like. Um, <laughs> I love the fact that yours is actually around midnight because again, I'm a night owl. Everyone is asleep. Yeah. I'm editing stuff for my, my thing. So it's easy to be able to join in and, and, and talk. And I, I was in one of the last one, the Thursday one that you did, yeah. which I really enjoyed as well. And um, I think I'll be doing that more and more. Like I said, I got to meet you. I got to get you on the show because of Clubhouse. So even though we're not being paid by Clubhouse, uh, it's great. They should it pay is. us. They should pay they us. They should pay us, yeah. They, they should pay us, definitely. Exactly. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we're here with the writer and executive producer of, uh, of the film Host, which is on Shudder. Also available on iTunes. You can get that on DVD as well. Jed Shepard. We've been talking about first host. So go back and listen to what we've said about host. Or even better yet, get Shudder or buy it on iTunes and throw some money the man's way because it's a great <laughs> film. Watch it. Um, you've got as part of your screensaver in the background, Ghosts. Please tell us what is Ghosts about? Ghosts is a real-time live-action horror video game. Um, if, if you remember those games from the 90s, those full-motion video games from the 90s, like Night Trap or Double Switch or Phantasmagoria, it's like that. But if it was written by a guy who just wrote the, the biggest horror movie of, of the year, me. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. so for yourself. <laughs> yeah. So if you look um behind me on my screen saber, you can see the people involved with it. It's the girls from Host are in this video game, and then it's live action. Creature designed by Trevor Henderson, the guy who is the creator of Siren Head. Um, the creature is made by Jim Henson's creature shop. He make creatures for Labyrinth, the Dark Crystal, from their making creatures uh, the game artwork is by graham humphreys who's known for doing the nightmare on elm street and evil dead posters he's doing all my artwork um, and it's been released by limited run games uh, on all formats in in february and yeah. yeah i saw i saw the the logo for um for playstation on one side and i think i've seen steam on the other side so you've got that available as well uh, yeah, there you go. And, and then Nintendo oh, Switch. And, and Switch. Yeah, and the Switch. Yeah. yeah. You said it's available next month. Did I hear that correct? No, um, in February it's available. In February, sorry. February, um, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's quite quite a long way, long way away. But yeah, I'm really excited to kind of do horror in a, in a different medium. And um, it's very immersive. If you thought Host was immersive, this is genuinely immersive. You are there and you have to help these ladies um, survive the night. And also there is a creature called the Long Lady 
who you have to keep an eye out for. And the rumor is if you see the long lady's face, you die. And I've, um, I've right. released some photos of the long lady and um, yeah, it's just gone viral through, through the, the, through film websites and um, video game websites as well. So it's, it's been really cool. It's working really well. We're definitely going to be following the progress of, of ghosts and we're just a, we're, we're just a small radio station, small radio show with a small podcast, but we'll do our best to try and champion it as, as best. Oh, as we thank can. you. Appreciate it. Um, I just want to wrap up because again, I know you, you're very, very busy. You'd mentioned that you were working on some projects with Sam Remy. Um, yep. I, I would kick myself if I didn't get to ask what's the man like? Oh, he is amazing. Um, like, before lockdown, um, even we were we were having meetings with him, and but during lockdown, we were just having Zoom meetings every week. And what how he likes to work is when he's going through a script, he likes everyone to play the parts. So uh, for a few weeks at least during lockdown, Sam Raimi was playing my girlfriend. <laughs> I, I was I was playing this this character. He was playing my girlfriend, and we had to have all this back and forth with each other, like on on Zoom, like working out these characters and the story. And it was it was insane because he he gets really into it, and because he's like a good actor, and people forget he's a good actor, he gets excited like a little kid. Like I can just imagine the first day of the Evil Dead in like in the early eighties, um, how excited and giddy he was there. That's how he is now. Still, he's so excited, and you can hear him when something gross happens in a script. Like he's just giggling away to himself. It's brilliant, and like and all the time while we were like having like this this table read, like he was planning uh, Doctor Strange too as well. So um like he, he's my he's my hero basically he's my favorite director so it's crazy for me to even be doing anything with him and hopefully what, it's not just the first thing hopefully it'll be a few things in, in the pipeline of course one of my favorite and this is the funniest thing I, I love his work um as a director but one of my favorite things about Sam Remy it's uh, him getting shot to pieces in Miller's Crossing I love that scene because it just, you can imagine, again, because there's a whole history behind him being the cinematographer for the Coen brothers or vice yes. versa and so on. Mm -hmm. So there's that connection, but just watching him getting shot up like that, I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, he's, um, he's brilliant. So are you now working, has that project that you were working with him before lockdown, has, is that still in the works or what's happening yeah. with Hopefully we start shooting at the end of this year. Obviously we have to wait till lockdown, uh, things ended but yeah hopefully we start shooting at the end of this year into into early next year Excellent. Um, and then um yeah if it was up to me i'd be working with sam raimi forever i just like now everything i write i'm just thinking first first of all okay like this is this is going to be for sam this is going to be for sam because it's just it's just like a dream come true really where are you <laughs> going to be shooting the, the project um we can't say exactly where but it'll be america it's, it's in america but um but yeah, if if we if I told you where it was, you'd figure out what the film was about because it's 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 tied into it. It's right. not just that I will be there. I will, <laughs> I, will, I will literally go and I would stalk and I would be there. I, well, I tell you what, it shares a lot of the same um, DNA as Drag Me to Hell. If 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 I was to kind of say what the vibe is for that movie, it's it's very Drag Me to Hell. Fair enough. I'm looking forward to, to seeing it. Jed, thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. We hope that you can come back and chat to us more often uh, on all of your projects so that we can follow and stalk and not stalk. <laughs> stalk. Some, some of us might do that. So just uh, just letting you know, I'll be that I'll be that fanboy wearing a Sam, <laughs> wearing a Sam Remy t-shirt uh, standing outside, uh, outside the film set. That was a fantastic interview that we had with the writer and executive producer 
producer of the horror film Host on Shudder. And now we're going to jump straight into our spotlight section, which is our interview with Jamie Nash. Here is Spotlight. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we are joined by a, a writer, uh, a screenwriter, TV writer, who has joined the group of experts who are working with the brand Save the Cat. And he has come up with his own installment of the Save the Cat books. Please tell us your name and your Save the Cat book. Hey, I'm uh, Jamie Nash, and my Save the Cat book is Save the Cat Rights for TV. Excellent. Thank you, Jamie. Um, so what is Save the Cat for people who have not read the, any of the Save the Cat books, and how does yours fit into the model? Yeah, sure thing. So Save the Cat is a, is a book that was ori- originally written, I think, in 2007 by a writer named Blake Snyder, who passed away in 2009. So that's why other people carried the torch. And uh, his initial book was basically about how to write a good screenplay. And it, it took um, a lot of what came before it. So if you've heard of things like The Hero's Journey or Sid Field's um, screenplay or even Robert McGee's story, um, he took a lot of those things because they're all things that, that are in, I don't know if he officially took those things, but from my perspective, he took those things, all the good stuff that you find in those other good books. And um, he kind of had his own spin on it. And uh, it, it lays out a template. I mean, primarily what the star of it is, is his beat sheet. He has a thing called a beat sheet, which lays out a template that helps you outline your story so that when you're breaking story, when you're coming up with story, you kind of know where to go along the way. You have these questions that are being asked of you. So you can like, you know, fill in the blank, so to speak, but that kind of minimalizes it. And there's lots of other things Save the Cat is too. Like, um, there was this whole notion when I first read it to come up with your log line first, for example, like to come up with that short uh, pitch uh, first before before you um, come up with anything else. So, um, you know, Save the Cat is all those things, but but most people know it for the template. Yeah, absolutely. And that you're, you're right. The first my first encounter with Save the Cat was the Blake, um, Blake Snyder uh, book. Um, using the 15-beat 15, um, template to write a screenplay. And I have to admit, before I read that book, it, it, took, it, would take me, it took me ages to write sure. screenplays. Uh, and as soon as I read that book, that really, really worked. And I found I, I've written uh, a number of screenplays using that template, and it's very, very quick because it, just like any template, any cookie-cutter fashion, it's literally just you, you just slide your story into that template and it works. It's like any experience you could, any film you can take that you really, really like. Take five of the films that you really like, and you can find those fifteen beats in that in that story in that same order as well. Tell us, uh, what uh, spin did you bring uh, as opposed to just the medium? What spin did you bring with regards to the Save the Cat? Yeah. So television is a weird animal. Uh, it's it's definitely strange. And for new writers, especially, I'm focusing on TV pilots, because if you kind of go around the industry, if you ask showrunners, if you ask people in the business, and from my own experience, to get staffed on a show, to get put in a writer's room, they want to read original material. 
back in the day, they used to read what's called spec scripts in television. That's kind of all gone away. Hardly any uh, showrunners that you ask. You'll get occasional unicorn that still wants a Seinfeld or Simpsons or whatever. You know, they'll say, write your, write your thing. And those do come up for fellowships uh, every now and then. Like I know like the Nickelodeon fellowship asked for that. But 99.9% .9 of the people want original material. And if you're writing in television, what that means is they want a pilot script. They want a script that launches a show. Um, so that presents a big problem in Save the Cat World because TV pilots are, um, they, they might be stories or they might just be setups to stories. You know, they, they're not necessarily beginning, middle, end. Sometimes they're just beginning. Sometimes they're beginning middle. Sometimes they're beginning, middle, end with a continuation. So that, that makes that template that, that save the cat template a little questionable. So what I, what I say about my book, I, I was a role player as a kid. I, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons. I think Save the Cat Rights for TV is advanced Dungeons and Dragons, while Save the Cat is Dungeons and Dragons. There's a lot more plates that you have to spin in the TV world um, in order to write a good pilot. Yeah, because I, I, I want to I read your book and try and see if I can... Uh, you, just as I've, I've done with Blake Snyder's and with uh, Jessica Brody's, I want to take yours and see if I can apply it to something like The Wire or Breaking mm -hmm. Bad and see if that works. Because you're right, it's original storytelling with all, with all the other ones, with such as Simpsons and Seinfeld, as you said. There's obviously a set beat that's there. You can, you can, you can time exactly the ad break is going to happen here. This is when something's going to happen. This is when the setup happens, the conflict, etc. cetera. Uh, but for original storytelling, it's a great idea. And I would love to read that book. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we're joined by Jamie Nash, who has written Save the Cat Rights for TV. Now, uh, some of the beats from the previous Save the Cat novels, for example, you have the opening image, which is the very first image setting you up. You have the, uh, the debate, you have uh, the conflict, you have the break into two, etc. Do you have 15 beats as well in your mm -hmm. template or is it different? Would you like to help us with that? Yeah, sure thing. So, yeah, just like you said, both novel and screenplay have the 15 beats because the 15 beats really do comprise a full cathartic story, you know, with beginning, middle, end. I also have the 15 beats, but there's just a lot of asterisks by the 15 beats, uh, more than usual. <laughs> drop this off here, drop this off here, add this here. Sure. Exactly. So, um, so, and I'll give you the, the higher level picture of the 15 beats for those that know, uh, uh, for the TV world. What would I change? So m my take is that as people trying to break in the business, most of these pilot scripts we write have to serve a whole bunch of masters. We're pitching a show, we're pitching characters. It's like a first date with these people, but you're also in a huge way pitching yourself because these are, again, 99.9% .9 of the time, these are writing samples to get jobs on a staff. They're not gonna be made into shows, but you have to go through the motions and have the optimism that it will be made into a show to make a really great, passionate story. You have to make something so compelling that people are like, oh, this is gonna be a show. So this is a long wind up to say that what I propose in the book, there are many ways to do it, but I propose you give a story with a beginning, middle, end 
put midpoint twists in it, have all his lost twists in it, do all the stuff that's in, because you want to show off, you want to put your best foot forward as a storyteller. Last night I watched Mayor of Eastwood. I don't know if you had that yet in HBO. That's Kate Winslet, Kate Winslet and uh, Guy Pierce, which just dropped in, in the UK. It, it just dropped, so I won't spoil it. But I'll say that they're HBO showrunners. They have they can do what they want. Kate Winslet's involved. Their first episode is mostly just a setup where a catalyst drops in the very last minute. So if it was like a movie, it would be a forty-minute long setup with a catalyst in the last 10 minutes. Um, if I'm submitting to a showrunner, unless that's the best 40 minute setup of all time, to, to submit that, I'd be really taking a risk. So what I suggest is you come up with something more like The Shield or, or in, in, my, in my book, I have Barry as an excellent um, pilot. Oh, you, you mentioned, you just hit two of, two of my top 50 TV shows of all time. Um, you mentioned Breaking Bad. Of course, that's almost the, the Rolls-Royce model everybody's trying to emulate. And those episodes are like movies unto themselves. You can appreciate those first pilots by themselves. You can just take them, watch them. They have beginning, middle ends, they have twists, but you also want to watch the next episode. So it shows off your skill as a writer, but it also, um, as giving you beginning, middle, and ends, but it also pitches that next show. How do I do that and save the cat world? Before I came along, I think a lot, what a lot of people were doing was they were taking Save the Cat and going to these online Save the Cat calculators. And they were saying, okay, let me put in my, you know, my 60 minutes into it. And it does this number crunching ratio computer science-y thing. And they would say, okay, well, that means my catalyst has to happen on page four. And this has to happen on page. And it would just do this magic. What my big thing is, is I say, ignore all those signposts that Save the Cat has. So when Save the Cat says, by page 12, you must have this. I say, get rid of those. I say, put all the beats in your story, but look at it more like as a to-do list and not as a schedule of events. So I know I need a catalyst, but whether that appears on page 20 or page 10, is up to me. So I, I'm kind of freeing it up a little bit. And I'm doing that because I analyzed a ton of television. And I saw that most of the good shows have all the Save the Cat beats. They have a All is Lost, they have the finale, they have everything. Some of them take a long time in the setup because it's the first episode and you need the characters and all that stuff. So they skimp on things for Save the Cat people like the second act beginning, the fun and game section. Like that might be really small, because it's saving those for like later episodes and you're really getting to know characters and worlds and situations. So it skimps, but most of them have a midpoint twist. They have the stake raiser. Most of them have the all is lost. And the biggest thing I found out when I analyzed all these things is some of them have, and again, hopefully there's some save the cat savvy people, but some of them don't have finales. Um, some of them, what happens, so Ozark is another one of my favorite shows from recent times on Netflix. And like Ozark is a show, not to spoil it at all, but it gets to the end. And in a movie, he makes a decision that would then be the finale. But that decision he makes that is then the finale, that becomes the entire series. He, so he, he basically decides, I'm taking my family, I'm moving to Ozark. 
the Ozarks and we're going to launder money there. We're, we're on a mission. There's stakes. I have to do it or my family will die. I, I'm spoiling the show for people, but it's, it's, it's the first episode. It's, it's the, the pilot episode. episode. It's know, the, I'm hooking yeah. them, right? I'm hooking it, them. So, um, so at the end, that would be a classic break into in Jessica's book or Blake Snyder's book. But in, in um, the television world, that break into oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes is the, we'll see you next week. We're breaking into next week. We're not breaking into the finale to resolve it all. We're introducing this whole new goal and conflict and stakes for next week to watch. So you then click on the next, and you're, and you know, you're on Netflix, so you just watch the next episode. So they're, they're the big, that's kind of like the high level, big picture version of my nuance on the Save the Cat template. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus Iaco. I'm producer Dave. A question that's popped into my head. I'm not a writer. So if I read this book and I said to myself, okay, let me try and apply this to a favorite novel. Would I be able to use your template for writing for TV to adapt a novel that I like for TV? I, I certainly hope so. I think you can. Um, so you were really this book, I have a lot of different people in mind. And you know, one group of people are the Save the Cat efficient. And I'm kind of, but by all means, this book and a lot of the reviews we've gotten back said, I never read the others, has everything you need to know in it. And um, the big thing, and this is why I say it's advanced, it's advanced Dungeons and Dragons, is because in order to have a great pilot TV show, you need a great TV show, right? So I'd say 50% of my book is coming up with a great TV show. What you need for a great TV show, all the considerations of that early on, um, how to come up with characters, how to come up with characters that last for several seasons, you know, over and over, so they don't just burn out at the end of season one. It also discusses breaking at a high level. And by breaking, I mean brainstorming or coming up with, um, but breaking uh, your season one it, it has all those things. It also has a whole section in the back for pitching that. So if you want to write out a pitch and then go pitch that show to somebody, it gives you advice on how to structure that pitch, how to come up with that pitch, and all the things you, you should consider to pitch. All that would help you. Uh, Jamie, a couple of questions. First question I want to ask is, you've kind of already identified the type of TV show that this would apply to. So something like uh, The Wire, for example, which, um, yes, The Wire still has the regular beats that you have, but in something like The Pilot, it, it, that is because of the number of characters that they're introducing, they carry on onto like three more episodes before yeah. you fully introduced all the main characters. So in, in a sense, something like The Wire may not necessarily fit the perfect example of what you're describing. But if we were going with something like, as you mentioned, Ozark, or even if we we're to go into comedies, maybe if we say Brooklyn Nine-Nine, for example, because it's something you've got quick introduction of the characters, and then you've got the, 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 uh, the plot and everything else. So it kind of matches. Is that, am I right in assuming that it is not perfect for every single TV show, but for those type of procedurals? Yeah, so the, the one TV show that you mentioned, The Wire, I, I'm, I live in Baltimore. So um, yeah, my, my friends are in The Wire. They're all in that show. I know The Wire very well. It's one of my favorite shows. I, I have this thing I call franchise types. Um, so when you're coming up with a TV show, I, I have this magic formula. And the formula goes like this. It's not magic. Really. It's a fresh world 
And by world, I mean arena. The world of boxing could be a world or something like that. But a world, so, you know, cop shows are a world, you know, the world of police. Uh, matched with the franchise type, which I have a list of these franchise types. And if you remember, um, if you have read Save the Cat, uh, Blake Snyder came up with these lists of genres. Genres weren't the usual blockbuster video genres. His were patterns, story types, patterns you saw recurring in various stories. You might have like a golden fleece story, which is like a quest. You might have a monster in the house, which is like a horror movie. You're trapped in a house with a monster. Or out the bottle where it's like a wish fulfillment type situation. Yeah. Out of the bottle, um, like Freaky Friday or, some, or Liar Liar would be the curse version of a uh, out of the bottle story. So I similarly, when I sat down for these franchise types and what franchise means is when I got to Hollywood and I had to pitch a TV show, one of the questions they would ask me is what's the franchise? And I was like, what kind of question is that? I don't know what, fran you know, what, a fran what they mean by a franchise is what's the recurring story engine week to week so you know x files it would be monster of the week or something of course like yeah now stranger things it might just be the recurring trouble in that small town and the mystery that that compels them to go for it that's the franchise so i came up with this thing called franchise types this is a long-winded answer to your question by the way but it explores the book a little more no worries so some of the franchise types you, you could almost imagine, like from what I just said. So one of them is blank of the week. Um, that's a franchise type. So it could be monster of the week. It could be case of the week. You know, it could be all these things. Um, something like house, you know, it's like a patient of the week. I had another one called trap together and trap together are my family shows. You know, they're the ones where everybody's kind of stuck together and they have to deal with each other. But they could also be workplace shows like The Office or something like that. It's, it's the um, interpersonal side of it. It's the trap together. And by the way, there's crossover because obviously some, you know, procedural shows have families of workplace or something like that. I have one called Mad Mad World. And um, I, I think shows like The Wire are more interested in the, in the world, like exploring a whole world of stuff than they are in a particular plot or character or something like that. And while um, The Wire does have procedural trappings, you know, it does have cop show trappings, especially in the first seasons. I think it's more interested in a societal thing that has many different threads running through it and is trying to take almost like this big picture look at the world. I think Game of Thrones to an extent has that as well. So there's all these huge, it's like a collection of different plots running through this huge world. So that's why I think you picked one of the harder ones with The Wire, Game of Thrones, some of these. And, and quite honestly, as a new writer, those would be the more challenging ones. Like for me to write The Wire, while I might get attention because if I was as awesome as them, but for a new writer to be as awesome as them and to be as authentic as what they did on The Wire and figured out, it would be challenging. It's not to say you shouldn't do it. Because uh, if you really know that world, and that's the world you love, you should do it. What I'm gonna do, I'm I'm gonna get I'm gonna get your book, Save the Cat, Rights for TV. Okay. Um, and I, it, it, this was gonna be a question I was gonna ask, but I I don't know what, what the answer would be. I'm gonna get that book and I'm gonna read it and try and 
right for UK TV. Now, I know obviously TV is 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 global, right? It's it everyone we all have share interests and there are a lot of American TV shows that come over here and do very well. There are a number of British TV shows. There there's a handful of TV shows in Britain that come from here and go to America and don't really succeed because of the the uh, mentality, but I think I I'm going to try that as an experiment. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to take your book I'm going to read it. I'm going to try and apply some of those, uh, the templates that you have. As you said, they're not, they're not templates as in, you know, do this and by this stage. They're not mm -hmm. structured. It's just basically checklists, right? You mentioned yes. a checklist, do this. I'm going to try that. Okay. And I'm going to it. send off some scripts to a number of channels to see if I actually break in. And uh, it'll be good. It'll be good. I haven't tried for TV yet. I, I think we've borrowed so much from the UK world, you know, ever since... The office kind of exploded on the, into our world. Like I remember thinking I was super cool because I saw the UK office beforehand and they were doing stuff. But then on top of that, just so many of the things, those shorter seasons, those longer episodes, the freedom that the UK television, from my perspective as a person that lives in Baltimore, Maryland in the US, um, the UK seemed to have led that charge where our, we, you know, the, the Hollywood kind of followed that with their streamers. And in fact, I think even some of the early streamer hits were things like Luther or even, um, you know, taking Sherlock and putting it on, uh, on Netflix or something. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't think it'll be any problem. I don't think there'll be any issue. Cause I think you just, unless you further led the charge since last I checked in um, and maybe you're just so far ahead now that I can't, I can't catch up. Just to tie this into this week's episode, because we, we focused on horror this week, and last week we um, focused on cats. So it's a, it's a nice link from last week to this week. And then with you, I noticed in the background, you have a poster for The Exorcist Director's Cut, which was one of my favorite um, horror films. Would you be able to take the Save the Cat book and apply it into the um, the Exorcist, and would it come out that way? Because the Exorcist was what nineteen seventy three, I think it was, which was forty odd years ago. And um, did that formula work then, as as it does now, or has it changed slightly? Right. No, great question. So, by the way, I'm you. Before I wrote a Save the Cat book, I'm a horror writer. Um, I'm a horror screenwriter. So uh, my movies that I've written are largely with the guy who did the Blair Witch Project, um, Eduardo Sanchez. Um, we did it, we did like, you know, I did the VHS2 movies. I did a Bigfoot movie called Exists. Um, horror is really what I do mostly. Um, and The Exorcist is one of my favorites. I, I think with The Exorcist, you could totally apply the Save the Cat model. I think it, I think it 100% would apply. The only thing that has changed, and this is actually where Blake Snyder, who wrote the original book, gets in trouble, and where maybe I won't because I took these things out. Um, <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of the controversy is those numbers, like page twelve, the catalyst. It's there. Do it. It's always there, you know. And he was very strict about that in his book. But if you knew Blake, and I, I, the reason I'm in the Save the Cat mess in the first place is when I first started, I wrote a screenplay with Blake before he wrote Save the Cat. Um, so I knew him really well. He was not the guy, you better put that thing on page 12 or your screenplay stink. He was, he, he said, whatever works, works. But anyway, in his book, 
he did put very specific spots like this should happen on page 50. This should happen on page 75. And by the way, that's where a lot of controversy about him comes today because people are like, oh, well, nobody, honestly, between you and me and Blake that I knew, he didn't mean that either. The re reason he put that in there is because, and I teach screenwriting as well. If you don't say that, that catalyst that should be on page 12, it'll be on page 75 if you don't say that. Yeah, and so he's doing that because 12 is the optimal spot. But if you put it on page 20 and it works, it works. You shouldn't put it on page 75. Um, no, I, I agree with you in that point. And I've, I have heard that criticism of like, the Save the Cat model as well, where people who really see it at a high level, who don't really dig into it, always say, oh, well, it's cookie cutter. It's going to be like your, you know, the, the roll of the mill type, ran, you know, standard formula. That's not what it is. It's just, just as you said, just to reiterate your point. Um, it is essentially, you, you have to have a foundation, right? So if you want to freestyle, you have to know what the basics are, have this as your basics, and then you can know how high to jump. If you don't understand the basics, you just want to jump in. And as you said, you'll put the catalyst on page 75 or on page one, and it, you know, people haven't been set up properly and so on. So it's a, yeah. it's a great tool to use. And again, tying into the other interview that we've done today, as you're a horror writer, just a quick question. Are you on Clubhouse as well? I am not on Clubhouse. It's funny that my the Save the Cat people are asking me to get on Clubhouse. So I've started to listen to it, but I haven't made the jump yet. I haven't quite figured out where I fit in on Clubhouse yet. I know exactly where you need to fit in. And it's okay. it's because the, the interview we did just before you was with Jed Shepard, who is the writer of the film Host, which is on oh, Shudder. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and he oh. hosts a, a Clubhouse of Horror every Thursday, it's midnight our time, I think 4 p.m. Pacific. And, you know, I, I wanna get back into it and learn more about horror. And, you know, if you ever find yourself on Clubhouse, jump into Clubhouse of Horror. Just look for Clubhouse of Horror. Okay, rooms before, before you go, for all those listeners out there who are not as well read as yourselves, please explain what you mean by catalyst. And, and I also never answered your question. This is the way I am. I go and I set up my answer and then I never answer your question. Yeah, so never that. mind because Marcus then dis distracted you anyway. So carry on. That's true. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And now, but you're bringing me back by and, and getting further clarification. So you're doing an awesome job. So a catalyst is, and it's one of the beats of the Save the Cat Beat Sheet. It's basically the beat that takes someone, it's often a random coincidence. It's the lightning bolt moment that takes somebody from the ordinary world into the, um, the world of the story. So if you get attacked by a shark, if a meteor hits your spaceship, if you get bit by a radioactive spider, that's the catalyst. And in Save the Cat terms, you usually, generally speaking in movies, it happens around the 12 minute mark is, is where you find that it happens. Around the 12 minute mark, that big thing that starts the story will happen. So usually the first 12 minutes is setting up the characters, what's their ordinary life, what's their flaw, what's their problems, you know, all that thing. And then 12 minutes, they get bit by the radioactive spider. That's what the catalyst is. So to your point about the exorcist, he said 12 minutes. In the exorcist, and I'm not even sure what the, what the catalyst is, like I, I'm trying to think back now, like, she hears rats in the attic or something like that. She says it's rats, but it's not rats. Um, I'd have to, I've never analyzed The Exorcist actually, 
But what, what I'd say is some of the older movies are slower paced. Uh, they just, they, maybe it doesn't happen at the 12 minute mark. Maybe it happens at the 25 minute mark. Maybe the, the um, there's certain beats that might be a little slower paced or take their time a little more than they do now. Um, and that's the biggest difference you see between them, but their structures are very similar, um, very similar. Um, the only time you see deviations in structure, um, and this is a whole nerdy um, writer thing, but um, Robert McGee, the story guy, who's another one of these, uh, he's another guy that has done a lot of work with teaching people how to write. He had this thing at the beginning of his book that I've always loved, that is, it has this pyramid and at the top is arch plot or, you know, Aristotelian storytelling. It's Chekhov's gun, it's set up payoff. But then at the left-hand corner is more the Sundance movies. You know, it would be more like Nomadland and uh, Lady Bird. Those movies don't follow the conventions that Pixar follows and most of your horror movies follow. And the, the what I call the cheeseburger movies, they're the cheeseburgers. Most of us like cheeseburgers. Some people, they like to go for the weird Kobe beef recipe or something down in the corner. And that's why you can't really get away with just saying, well, this save the cat thing doesn't work. What about, you know, uh, Nomadland? I think Nomadland knows the architecture of a arch plot story, but then is subverting it for realistic purposes. They're trying to give you this realism. Um, random things happen. Setups don't pay off. There's not necessarily a cathartic ending. They're doing that stuff intentionally. And um, that's the one place where you don't, where you might find save the cat breakers, so to speak. And also then on the other side of the picture are surreal films like David Lynch and things like that, eight and a half. Um, those movies don't necessarily subscribe to all this. So, and to wrap it up for the horror thing. So one of my favorite movies is Halloween. And I think Halloween's a hard one to analyze with Save the Cat, because Halloween tries to get you, it tries to scare you by being almost realistic, almost like this weird snuff film where this guy's stalking somebody and she doesn't really, the main character isn't even aware of the killer to like the end. Um, she doesn't really have a goal. She's just babysitting and, and living her life. And I think that's what makes that movie scary. So I think somebody like John Carpenter kind of took the rules. He took the feeling of the rules, but he leaves some things out or he changes some things around. I'm not as didactic about like, you must do it 100% this way. I think 80% of the time you must do it 100% that way. There's another 20% you can start fudging. Absolutely. And I, I, I appreciate that, that you, that, that clarification as well. Um, and I'm de like I said, I'm definitely going to get the book. Uh, it's Save the Cat Rights for TV. Thank you, Jamie Nash, for joining us to talk about that. And I'd love to get to, to talk to you on, uh, on Clubhouse and we'll definitely reach out to you more. Uh, after, when I start reading the book and I start writing, I'll be sending questions to you and I'll try and get clarification from you. Sure thing. Thanks so much for having me on. This was great fun. That was Jamie Nash, the writer of Save the Cats, Write for TV. I could have talked to him and Jed Shepard for hours. We should basically do another show where it's both of them that we're having one hour each person. That way I can ask all my questions and talk loads about films. Anyway, don't forget to check our special podcast episode where we spotlight the uh, online show Whispers. It's only going to be available on Saturday, the 24th of 
April 2021. So check out that podcast episode that is dropping now on all your podcast catching devices. You should be able to listen to it. No problem. Go check it out. You've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Akko. I'm still David Campbell. Saying thank you all very much for listening. Speak to you all again next week. Goodbye. Bye.